Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of The Door Report presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, we talk about Candace Lee's tweet regarding Vanderbilt fan attendance at football games. The fact that there will be parents allowed to be in attendance, so Ken Seals' father will be able to attend uh, the Florida and Tennessee game, as well as many other players' parents, but students will not be allowed. So a little bit of a switch in the protocol at Vanderbilt Stadium. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the uh, announcement that no fans will be present inside Memorial Gym uh, this season. According to Candace Lee, we'll talk about Um, that and ask the question, should students be allowed inside Memorial Gym as well as parents? We'll talk about that as well as Aaron Neesmith, his chances of landing in the top 14 as a lottery pick in tomorrow night's NBA draft. He's projected at 12th overall, but there's also some spots picking him to go later. We'll talk about him and his potential uh, in the NBA. And we also talk about the Kentucky game. Vanderbilt loses 38-35 in Lexington. Where does Vanderbilt go from here? We talk about that game, the performance from Ken Seals, and we talk about some of the goals towards the end of this football season for head coach Derek Mason. All that and much more coming up here on the Door Report. Let's ride. Welcome into another episode of the Door Report the premier Vanderbilt podcast in Music City. We are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the founder, Jimmy Alaco. That's jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They are located right here in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's nice and easy for the locals. You can call 615-356-0303. That's 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. Before we get to the breaking news, it's now time to send it over to my buddy Will Byram for a few words on the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in West Mead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every budget and every need, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. Welcome back into The Door Report. It is episode 48. Welcome into a beautiful Tuesday November 17th. I'm reporting live here from Naples. Will Byram is in Nashville. We are, as always, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. We're back and better than ever, Willie, with another episode. It is a Tuesday. 
again, you're you're in Nashville. I'll be there here in a few days. Can't wait uh, to get back in Nashville. I know you you've been chilling up there uh, with with the nice weather, but. Will Kentucky lost? The losses are getting a little bit closer uh, on the road. Again, they love playing on the road, but but how about this one? Will they find a way to to lose by three? Uh, but again, a lot to a lot to talk about in terms of this one. Yeah, we'll get into the details of that game later, but I have a feeling our stretch of uh, tightening up these losses may be at risk uh, next week when uh, the Commodores take on that Gators offense that doesn't seem like it can be stopped by anybody. No, you got a couple of uh, Kyles there that have been um, just playing out of their mind. We'll see if Kyle Pitts is able to play. He, he wasn't able to go uh, this past week. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Florida game, but we'll have a big preview on that one on Thursday. Before we get to breaking news, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. That's at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Also, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, here we go. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got basketball to run through here, but also a tweet from Candace Lee. And um, this is it was it was, uh, it was taken in, in many different ways. Uh, a lot of people are are excited that uh, that parents are now allowed um, in inside Vanderbilt Stadium, and but a lot of people are also talking about why did it take this long. Why, why is it just now happening, the fact that uh, they will limit attendance for the final two home games of the season to only parents and families of student athletes? And, Will, I think we're in complete agreement on this. You know, this, this, this should have happened, you know, from, from the outset of the season. Yeah, I don't even know if announcing that at this point that parents are going to be able to be in attendance is what – made Vanderbilt fans so angry at this tweet and announcement. I think it was the tone of the tweet and the announcement. We were talking about this beforehand, but mm -hmm. I'll just read it directly from uh, the at Vandy AD Twitter, Candace Story Lee. I want to give a shout out to parents and family members of our football student athletes who are key to our success. We're working to find a way to have them cheer on our Commodores as safely as possible during the fall two home games. More to come. Uh, that tone is absolutely ridiculous that it's it's two home games left and this athletic department is just now figuring out how to fit two mm. to three hundred max maximum two to three hundred parents not, in a 40, not even thousand forty thousand seat football stadium and the tone of look we're doing all we can i mean this is just an unsolvable issue it's so out of touch so out of reality and it's almost talking down to Vanderbilt fans and he's your teacher. And it's like, you don't understand. You're too stupid. So it, we're hard to do this. And it's coming at this point in the season. You've had a long time to figure this out. Um, and we're not talking about fitting, you know, 500 parents in a 1500 seat stadium. This is still a 40,000 seat stadium with room to spare. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what Vanderbilt fans took issue with was, the tone of the tweet and just being completely out of touch with not just Vanderbilt's fans, but really the rest of college football. No doubt. And, and the, it's kind of funny now they're switching. So they, they got, they allowed students at the outset for the first few home games and now no students will be allowed. It's going to be uh, no fans and other Vanderbilt students will not be allowed. So these last two home games against Florida and Tennessee, it'll be close family uh, members. And, and I assume each player will have a guest list and they'll allow to 
they will be allowed to um, add anyone they want on that list. And also the visiting teams, um, Tennessee and Florida will also have a, a certain allotment there. So it's almost, it's gonna be a big 10 type of field, no students, just families um, of, of the players. And, and I don't, you know, why couldn't, how hard is it to start that from, from day one, from, from, the, from the first home game of the season? You know, what, how, is, is it that many, are there that many logistical issues that you have to solve, um, you know, to get that figured out? Uh, because you did allow students, you know, and, and so maybe maybe there was some deep logistical issue, but I, I can't see that being the problem because, I mean, how, how the Big Ten started that with their season. They, they've, they've done it from yeah, the outset. Yeah, yeah. Vanderbilt's been switching on us. Like, I, yeah, I, that's the part is, I don't it's, understand. I mean, it's gone way past the point of just being like, wow, Vanderbilt's the only school in the SEC not allowing fans because – you know, the SEC is by far the most liberal with allowing fans into the stadium. So I didn't take issue necessarily with that. But at this point, it's almost turned into an embarrassment from the perspective of not allowing families in. When you have the broadcast zooming in on a hotel room that uh, Ken Seal's family purchased to come from Texas to watch their son play football, that's not just like, and how they kind of presented it was like, that's very supportive, um, whatever. But from a fan base perspective, I mean, that's an, that's embarrassing. That's sad. It's very that, sad that you, that is your home stadium and the father of the starting quarterback can't get into the game. Yeah. He that's, has to purchase a hotel sad. room and put lights up there so that his son knows that, that he's watching, which yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's almost, it's extremely cringeworthy to be sitting there watching that and watching them talk about the Vanderbilt program. And, and it feels to me like Candace Lee was in over her head outside of a pandemic, outside of these unique circumstances. I didn't think she was the right person for the job. Um, and this pandemic and this situation has truly shown that she is extremely in over her head. And I really hope they make a move bringing Tommy McClelland in um, to take over that AD, AD yeah. role. Yeah, we'll see what, what happens there. And especially, you know, go, going more deeper into her quote, she said, yet our parents and families have made so many sacrifices in support of their student athletes this season. I'd like to extend my deepest appreciation to them for their patience, understanding, cooperation throughout these difficult months. And yeah, very difficult to be able to allow parents into the stadium. So I think we could go on and on about this, but uh, again, the limited attendance will be in play with family members. The next two home games for Vanderbilt, Florida and Tennessee, we'll see what kind of a different atmosphere that that uh, that is offered at, at, at uh, Vanderbilt Stadium. Speaking of atmosphere, we'll see what the atmosphere looks like at Memorial Gym this season. Uh, apparently, we have received word that no fans will be allowed inside Memorial Gym either. No students as of right now. Um, well, I don't I just I don't understand the reasoning. I really don't. Where's the logic here? You started by allowing students at, at, at uh, the first home football game. And there was a decent amount of students um, at that game. And then, you know, the, the student attendance started depleting a lot. Um, and now you're beginning to allow parents. And, and now heading into the basketball season, you don't allow anyone. So I really, really have no rec no, like, I don't think any other college is dealing with this. You know, you should have had a clear plan of this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to stick with this plan. And we're not going to when they this will be the second type of change in this plan. Why not stick with the students continuing to stay in there? I, I, I really don't understand the logic, but, they, you know, and the, and the question we put out there on our Twitter was, should there be fans in Memorial Gym? And most of the most, most of the responses, yes, we are a Vandy site, but we had probably 30, 40 responses. Most of them said, yes, there should be fans. That is what makes Memorial Gym special. And 
it's going to be really sad if, if they can't at least allow students inside Memorial Gym this year. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what other programs decide to do as far as fan attendance, because basketball does present more unique opportunity or unique issues with being an indoor sport as opposed to having the open air atmosphere of football. But I don't understand the logic of not allowing students. You brought these students back onto your campus, mm -hmm. interacting with each other at all times um, on a contained small campus, even if they are or, or quarantining like i guess they're extremely concerned about this virus and are quarantining themselves um it's not going to change anything allowing students to go into that gym interact with each other just as they are in the university fitness center just as they are in classrooms walking around mm -hmm. campus in the cafeteria it's the same idea um i i think it's another showing by vanderbilt just saying look at us look how progressive we are um, and, and I think another issue, not just with not allowing fans, because we presented the issues unique that unique issues that Vanderbilt faces, um, being the only team in the SEC, you know, located in a large city, um, being a small contained campus, a lot of out of state students. So they're going to be a little more cautious, regardless of being a more liberal university or not. But the the largest issue really is the lack of transparency throughout this mm -hmm. whole process and yeah. Vanderbilt has always had a lack of transparency not letting fans in um, knowing what they're doing whatever that Vanderbilt fan council was I didn't get accepted <laughs> into it shockingly um, but I what are they doing I mean that was that just a PR stunt um, a couple guys that, that we talked to in the door report group or regularly I mean they haven't said anything about it so I doubt they're really um, expressing any vital information through that Vanderbilt fan council. So it's another thing that's just like, here's this initial thing that's maybe an okay idea and then no follow through. Same thing with the pregame show for the football games. Uh, no follow through, just shitty execution over and over and over. No plan, no transparency, no update on football locker room upgrades, no update on anything. It's really gotten to the point that it's pathetic. No, no update on the Derek Mason head coaching situation. Not even a small press release. Whether to whether to fire, they're looking to fire him or not looking. Um, you're just really standing here, like, what is going on? Yeah. We have an 0 six football team. We can't go to any games. Our basketball team has had the worst three year stretch in the history of the program, and Candace Lee is in complete silence. So. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at right now. It's it's not it's not a good spot. It's really not. But I think you know the on the bright side, you got a basketball team that's that's ready to get into the gym. They're ready, um, you know, to fight back after you know a tough season last year. And you got Stack, who's 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 ready for for another season because they've they've been waiting and waiting on 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 this for I don't know you know I don't even know how long. And just like every other uh, basketball team. But on that topic of Memorial Gym, will I think you're right in saying that it's going to be interesting to see what how other SEC schools approach this. Um, I know Tennessee's playing Memphis at Bridgestone Arena. We'll see what kind of crowd they allow um, in there. And also with the big places like Rupp Arena, even down there in Gainesville, we've got a lot of great programs in the SEC. So we'll see where they go in terms of um, who they let in, how they how they approach uh, this. So and I think Vanderbilt, you know, they're they're not going to be similar to those approaches at all. You know, I, I, that's that's like you mentioned they're they're going to they're going to say, look at us. This is what we're doing um, in terms of, of how we approach this. So. We'll see. Again, I think I think we're both in agreement. There should at least be students, um, and then why not close family members who want to go see their their sons and 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 daughters play? 
You know, that that's that should not be a problem and 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 it should not be hard to make that happen. And and Candace Lee is making that happen here in the last two home games of the football season. Let, let's let's start a plan. Let's get a plan and 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 make it happen in the basketball season as well. Uh, because it's really unacceptable, as you mentioned, what's going on. Well, we got uh, another yeah, basketball strategic plan. Yeah, maybe we'll she'll, she'll a- release out another strategic plan. Don't worry, Billy. Yeah, I think we need another strategic <laughs> plan um, to to uh, to stay updated. But uh, we also got Aaron Neesmith. He um, he will uh, he will definitely be drafted tomorrow night in the first round of the NBA draft. And I've got a few projections here to kind of look at. Uh, Gary Parish of CBS Sports has him going 12th overall to Sacramento. Uh, Ricky O'Donnell at SB Nation has him going 21st overall to Philadelphia. And then Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report has him going 10th overall to Phoenix. So it's ranged from about 10 to even 25. Um, and most experts believe he will fall in the first round. I'm really excited to see where he will land. Uh, I, think, I think he will be in the top 14 as a lottery pick. But what what a, what an opportunity for 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 Neesmith. He deserves it, and and I know I know a lot of people are going to miss him him playing in Memorial Gym. Will yeah, it, it's really sad that his career was was cut short there because he was he was really having a great season. But I'm a little bit selfish and hope somehow the Celtics are able to uh, land him as a longtime Celtic fan. But um, some, somebody that is kind of an odd comparison that I, I can see Neesmith kind of filling a similar role um, is Tyler Hero. Um, mm. Extremely good shooter, um, can be really streaky and get really hot and become almost unguardable, good one dribble pull up mm-hmm. um, and good athleticism, not great athleticism, but good athleticism. So that's somebody that I could see him stepping into and that's high praise. Because um, yeah, Tyler yeah. Hero obviously performed extremely well in that NBA bubble, but that's somebody that I can see um, him kind of filling that role in a team that's kind of right on that edge. Just add uh, a lottery pick, add a couple more pieces, and boom, um, you've got a team that can make a deep NBA playoff run. And a lot of experts, Will, are saying that Neesmith could possibly be the the best shooter in this draft. Um, and and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, because because he's he's there's not many other good shooters. There's a lot of really good shooter, other good shooters in this draft, and that's how good he is. As you mentioned, Will, he was on pace to become the most prolific shooter in SEC history. He started off that season incredibly hot. He could potentially become, I think, a Buddy Heald type of player where, as you mentioned, that same kind of mold as Tyler Hero where where he steps in and just kind of gets hot and you don't know. He's like, who is this guy? Um, so I think he could he could surprise a lot of people. Obviously, the foot injury, we'll see how that goes and, and how uh, concerning that could be. Uh, for some teams, you know, considering him, you know, in the late lottery, mid first round area. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I think he's just a versatile guy. He's 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 huge, by the way. He's gotten a lot bigger anyway. Um, and he's he's a, he's a physical guy. He can he can finish in the lane and, and we'll see how how improved how improved his game is uh, because boy, was he fun to watch. So and also, yeah, you got Saban Lee. Saban Lee is also another guy. Um, who potentially we could see him late second round, uh, but I think I think he's going to get an opportunity in the NBA, whether that's going up through the the G League or or you know signing um, an undrafted free agent uh, as an undrafted free agent because boy is he talented. So both these guys have chances, and Saban Lee, another guy that we're going to miss watching, um, but but I think he's got a shot. Will yeah, Saban Lee is is one of the guys that I think another year in college could have done him a lot of good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what advisors he was speaking with or if he had issues with Stackhouse, the scheme, whatever. 
Um, but just another year showing an improvement on that jump shot um, and a more consistent overall game could have really, really helped his draft stock. Most projections, mock drafts have him going undrafted, mm -hmm. um, which I can I kind of expect happening. But I could see a team taking a late flyer, um, maybe a late second round pick on him because he this is going to sound kind of homerish and, and insane, but he fits that similar mold of like John ja Morant with freak athleticism, um, very explosive, meh, questionable shooter, mm -hmm. um, was surrounded by teammates and, and on a team that wasn't very talented and kind of limited his overall production because other teams were able to key on him. So that's, and the emergence of him during his rookie season is really why I could see a team possibly taking a late second round flyer and seeing and saying he's got a lot of upside, a lot of work, he's a project, um, but, but he does have a lot of upside with potential to be a player of that type. Yeah, I think Saban, he, he with his with his athleticism, I don't know why an NBA team wouldn't want to take a chance on him and, and and say, hey, look at this guy, he can help our team in terms of depth, and and, and you can compare him to John Moran, and I think that's a good comparison because of his pure explosiveness, and and NBA's will will check him out and bring him in for workouts, and it's going to be fun to see uh, potentially where he will go. We'll see him in the G League likely, um, and then get a shot at the NBA. Neesmith, he'll be NBA day one so it's going to be fun to see where Neesmith lands tomorrow night NBA draft on ESPN that'll get going around uh eight eastern time uh there uh where's that draft I don't even I don't even need draft 2020 we got to get a location on that because it's going to be a big night obviously for Vanderbilt um uh, with and, and when you're looking at Aaron Neesmith he could be the sixth player uh, selected in in the draft, and that's the mo in the last in the last uh, I think since 2012, Vanderbilt has the second most in the SEC. So that's uh, Vanderbilt basketball. We talked about their um, you know their potential and and kind of their reputation in the NBA. It's it's not it's not as bad as you might think. Yeah, that that uh, statistic I believe is actually even first round picks. So second most, obviously we all know who has the most in Kentucky, but yeah. um, second most first round picks, and and that's something that a lot of people don't even realize, and and a yeah. lot of that has to do with injuries that that mm -hmm. guys have sustained. But Vanderbilt basketball in the last three years, people tend to forget that Vanderbilt basketball just won the SEC championship in 2012. Yeah. Um, they're not far removed from competing at that extremely high level. So hopefully we can see some improvement this year and maybe the next steps, next step um, back toward that, uh, that winning, winning tradition. Yeah. I, we talked about it a lot. I can't wait to, to, to get into that basketball season. Once football is done, it'll be all basketball for us and then leading into baseball, but the draft location is Southington, Connecticut. That's ESPN headquarters. Uh, so that's where the draft will be obviously with, uh, with a lot of the COVID policies and protocols going around uh, several locations can't have it in Brooklyn um, or anywhere else. So again, that'll be tomorrow night, ESPN NBA draft. Can't wait to see where Neesmith lands. Will we got uh, time, a little bit more time left here to recap Kentucky uh, again, final score, Kentucky 38 Vanderbilt 35 Ken seals, no interceptions. And what did I say? Will before, I think we both agreed on this. If he doesn't throw interceptions, Vanderbilt's going to have a shot in this game, and they had a shot. They lost by three. They kind of kept chipping away at the end, and they found a way um, to keep it close. But Kentucky ended up winning. They improved to three and four. Vandy's now 0-6, as you mentioned. Talk about Seals, 21-32, 225, two touchdowns, 86.3 QBR. But the quarterback that a lot of people didn't think, I don't think, thought would have would have had an impact on this one, Mike Wright, one touchdown. Uh, he actually had two touchdowns. He threw a touchdown. 
and he ran for a touchdown. He was the surprise of the day, and boy, was it fun to see him on the field and kind of provide that spark for Vandy. Yeah, I've been extremely critical of Todd Fitch and the offensive game plans, but one thing we talked about before the season that has really come to fruition is utilizing Mike Wright in those RPO packages in special situations. Um, it's one of those things that a lot of times fans look at and think this is so obvious and then coaches don't use it or execute it. Mm -hmm. They've actually done it. Um, yeah. And so props to Todd Fitch for utilizing his weapons in, in that way. Um, we obviously, <laughs> Vanderbilt, we both predicted the upset and we were almost right. <laughs> we almost got it. Um, oh, and they're sitting at 0-6 now and it's not looking great for the rest of the season. Um, but it's it's still just the small things. Um, there There's always this one sequence of events that you can point to and say that was a massive difference yep. in the game. It's it's one inexcusable error week after week. I know what you're going to say. End of the half, Kentucky's driving down, two straight penalties. It's second and 36. Oh, I thought you were going to say the key on injury. Oh, well, that too. <laughs> but this, this is the big one that, that I literally just threw my hands up in the air and I was like, mm. why am I even watching this? Because it was third, it was second and thirty-six. Vanderbilt dropped back into soft oh. coverage, as they should. Kentucky passes the ball for nine yards. It's now third and twenty-six. All right, we got and this. We blitz probably. I, I think we sent five or six guys, and we lost contain. And Terry Wilson scrambled for the first down, and they ended up kicking a field goal, going up twenty-four fourteen, going into the half. Vanderbilt was receiving the ball after half, and that three points ended up being the difference in the game. Third and 26, I understand that it's tough to contain an athlete like Terry Wilson consistently, but it's third and 26. You shouldn't be worried about a pass rush. You should be worried about having three QB spies, basically, mm -hmm. letting him sit back in the pocket and guys protecting that first down marker. I don't understand why Derek Mason sent a blitz there, lost contain. Yeah, that's that's not even like having having talented players on the field. That's just execution, being able to, you know, call the right play on the right on the right down. You know, that's yeah. that, you, 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 I think you can blame that on, on Mason and you're right about that. And, and it obviously, you know, the whole trajectory of the game would have changed if that didn't happen. So I don't want to say, like, if that play doesn't happen, the Vanderbilt wins this game or it goes into overtime. But you look at that, and it's funny how often you can look back to one play that then results in a point differential that is the difference in the game. And, and mm -hmm. that's what it was. But once again, we talked about it, Vanderbilt off to a slow start. Mm -hmm. um, that first quarter deficit is now getting insane. Vanderbilt is losing in the first quarter 66 to three. So far this year, outscored 14 to nothing uh, mm -hmm. this week against Kentucky. So outside of the outside of the first quarter in our last three games, um, and obviously the trajectory of the game changes, Vanderbilt's playing catch up, but outside of that first quarter, Vanderbilt outscores Kentucky 35 to 24. Outside of the first quarter, they outscore Mississippi State 17 to 10. And then outside of the first quarter, they're only outscored by Ole Miss 31-21. So there's obviously an issue with the with Derek Mason being able to stop the other team's initial game plan, which obviously shifts throughout the game. And our initial game plan offensively is not getting it done in the first quarter with three total points. No, not at all. And I, I, you talked about Mason's game plan a little bit on defense and Obviously, with Coach Mason, he's a defensive guy. He, he's he's gonna call. He's gonna call a lot of, uh, you know, hopefully the right plays. And we talk about that. But their defense has I haven't seen any improvement really at all this season. And and obviously Kentucky with Terry Wilson 
we, we knew what we were going to get from them. And, and I know Coach Mason knew exactly what he was going to get uh, from their pounding run game. But you look at Vanderbilt offensively, the production is there. I mean, the last two games, you could argue the last three games, that this offense is, is starting to do some things. Henry Brooks, 29 carries, 121 yards. Um, Amir Abdurrahman, seven catches, 89 yards. Chris Pierce, three catches, 53 yards, and a great touchdown catch off a dime uh, from Ken Seals. That was beautiful to watch. Bresnahan played well again. Cam Johnson, not as much. He had a touchdown late, but he only had four catches, 17 yards. And so the stats, they may not jump out to you, but watching this offense, they have improved. It's no doubt in my mind that this team, this offense has improved, and this team is carried by that offense and Ken Seals and 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 a lot of the hope and 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 I just motivation of this team is is led by the quarterback Ken Seals. We haven't seen that a lot from Vanderbilt teams. Shermer, it really wasn't all on his shoulders as we talked about with Ralph Webb and a lot of the other um, you know offensive players doing more uh, than him. I mean, you could argue his senior year a lot was put on him, but. For Ken Seals, I mean, this is his team. This is his offense, his team. And you can finally say that about a Vanderbilt team. And and obviously, you know, defense is the issue. But, boy, has the offense improved. Um, and I know this team is 0-6. It's hard to, to kind of, you know, find find the, the nice things to talk about. But this two-quarterback system, I don't know if you can call it a two-quarterback system with Seals and Wright, it worked. I don't you know, I'm not saying – Wright was really only put in in the red zone – but getting down close to the red zone, if you can have right available, that's a weapon. And, and, that, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing for Todd Fitch. Yeah, th- this offense, you're watching it improve week after week because this Kentucky defense is a good Kentucky defense. Mm-hmm. Very they good. They were big we talked, up front. Yeah, we talked about that secondary being forcing, I believe, 11 uh, turnovers through the air mm-hmm. um, and their run defense being middle of the pack, their pass defense being the best in the SEC. And so this this was Ken Seals' best performance, 100, and 110%. This was his best performance. It's not his best statistical performance, but this is a really, really good defense, and yeah. he played like a junior or a senior quarterback as a true freshman. Um, and that offensive line still is impressing me. Um, Finding I mean, a way. They, this t- I expected this offensive line to just be gaping like Swiss, like holes like Swiss cheese. Yeah. And they've honestly, if you didn't know the situation with the offensive line, you wouldn't even, this wouldn't stick out as a bad offensive no, line. In fact, no. you might be saying this is one of the better offensive lines that we've had at Vanderbilt in recent years. So I don't know props how to that group, uh, 100%. We, we harp on the negative a lot, but props to that offensive line group um, for giving Ken Seals time. And a lot of that is Ken Seals mobility, rolling him out, but, but they've done an exceptional job. Well, the defense what, is still just struggling. Yeah, I mean, what, what, it, what is it like? What it, I, I know it's it's depth on defense that that has a role to play. I, I can't even tell you how many transfers, opt outs, injuries they've had defensively. Um, that's got to be the issue. But I mean, giving up thirty eight to a Kentucky team that that really hasn't been playing well as of late. That's I don't know how it happens. I mean, you got Terry Wilson. He had a rushing touchdown, 83 yards on the ground. Rodriguez had one at 150 on the ground, two touchdowns. So the run game was successful, um, but they were scoring at the right times. It's like, okay, they need to score here. They score. So it's like they, they did what they had to do to win this game. But what, what can be, I don't even know this defense, what, what can be improved and, and, and what, what can Vanderbilt do that in towards the end of this season 
to to hang with to hang with Florida and maybe slow them down and even slow down Tennessee? Is there anything? I was watching this game with Jacob Scholl, one of our one of our writers, and then helps with content creation. And he said kind of what I think is the main issue is what is Vanderbilt's strength and conditioning program? Because you watch consistently our linebackers and linemen hit the running back at the initial point of contact, hit the quarterback and him squirm free or always consistently fall forward. And he said, we just look weaker than the, than the opponent. Um, mm -hmm. And that is something that I don't understand. The defense is playing better. Um, I will give them that. But this Kentucky offense is not an explosive offense. Um, and, and the offense put up 35 points against what is a pretty damn good defense. Um, the mm -hmm. offense did everything they could do. This is squarely on the shoulders uh, of a defense that is supposed to be under defensive mastermind, Derek Mason. Um, and it's another thing you point to and say, all right, if our defense is this bad and this this offense is led by Ken Seals, this, this very talented freshman quarterback duo and Mike Wright and Ken Seals, what is Derek Mason bringing to the table that another court that another offense or another coach couldn't bring to the table because you look at Ole Miss and their offense is extremely explosive um bringing in Lane Kiffin and their defense is terrible it's just terrible yeah. it's like, but you look at it and say all right well that's Lane Kiffin's thing is offense if we can get the right defensive coordinator in there to pair with them we can have a pretty good team well Derek Mason is the opposite of that it's supposed to be he has the defense on lockdown. This is a lockdown defense. If we can just get the right offensive coordinator paired with them, uh, this is going to be a good team. And now and, you can't say that. And our defense is the worst defense in the SEC. So what is he adding? What is his value added to this to this team? And I really don't know. Because um, it, it was consistently the secondary was struggling, and that's understandable with opt-outs and injuries, transfers. But but this was the run defense was not good, which is supposedly where the strength of this team is with Odangbo, who's probably a top two or three round pick, mm -hmm. Andre Mens, Davion Davis, Dimitri Moore, Maxwell Worship coming down, Brendan Harris coming down as a safety, um, Orgy, and it just isn't coming together. And defense is a lot harder to scheme than offense. I mean, it's hard to hide when you can't when the other team can just line up and run the ball directly over you, that's, that's weight room. And that's not yeah. something that's going to be fixed in a week. So yeah, and I, you're, a fix. yeah you're right. I, I mean, I, there's, there's likely not with, with what three games left. Yeah. Um, so before, yeah. So again, you, right now you're going to, you're playing some really good offenses. Florida is, is, is potentially a playoff team. Um, and Kyle Trask is potentially a first round pick now. Um, so I, <laughs> It should be fun uh, to watch there. But again, Tennessee would have not as good as Florida, but still just a big team and they can expose you in terms of, of just beating you down. Um, yeah, yeah. So this, this defense, they got to get, whether that's in the weight room and getting more guys in there with depth because they just don't have depth at all. I mean, they're bringing in, they're bringing in guys. I haven't, I've never seen on, on that defense before and rarely seen. You know, guys like just young guys who've never played in the SEC and, and whether that's experience, they just they'll be improved because of experience next year. I don't know. Um, but the defense, I, great point about about Coach Mason. What is he bringing right now? You know, there, what, what is he bringing to the team? Yes, he is the head coach, but you've seen multiple times where, again, he it is his seventh year and he's still struggling with this with game management. He's still struggling with when to call a timeout and he's struggling defensively and he's a defensive guy. So 
I mean, there's a little bit of uh, questioning there. And I think it's, I think we have an argument and, and I think a lot of other Vanderbilt fans do as well. So again, tough year all the way around. And we'll have, we'll have a lot more time to talk about this team. Um, we've got again, again, a home game against Florida coming up. Florida's uh, about a 31, 30, 31 and a half point favorite um, coming into Vanderbilt stadium. It's going to be on ESPN uh, a little early 11 AM kick. Um, and you know, Vandy usually likes those, but they like playing on the road this year. They'll be at home. Um, so we'll see what kind of Vanderbilt team we see. Florida um, is, is coming off uh, is coming off. Obviously they beat Georgia. So <laughs> that's, and, and, and they, the way they've been playing, they, they could, like I said, they could make the playoffs. So Vanderbilt, Florida will real quick here to close it out. 31, 31 and a half, I think is the line. I don't see this really going well at all. Yeah. This is probably the biggest nightmare matchup that Vanderbilt could have right now. Um, kind of similar to Ole Miss. I mean, this, this Florida offense is honestly watching them just, they're a machine and they're getting better week. Same as Vanderbilt's getting better week by week on offense. Florida's doing that in, but they're starting from already an elite level offense beginning of the year. Uh-huh. I mean, you look at their point totals, even in their losses, 51, 38, 38, 41, 44, 63, 44 points against Georgia, which is supposedly one of the top five defenses in the entirety of the country. Yeah. I mean, Kyle so, Trask is ridiculous. I mean, you're looking at a, a probably the Heisman Trophy winner in him. So. Yeah. There, this is a brutal matchup for Vanderbilt. Um, probably looking at this schedule, the remainder of the season, I mean, you've got Florida. Tennessee is probably the one to mark down and say that's a very beatable team because you probably look at the talent level in the SEC and say Vanderbilt at 14, Mississippi State at 13, and then uh, Tennessee at 12, and mm-hmm. probably Kentucky at that 11. Um, so, and there's a pretty big gap in my opinion in that 12, 13, 14, and then getting into, um, Ole Miss, Missouri level teams. So that's a team to really point to because their, their passing game is 13th out of 14, similar to Kentucky, just no consistency. Um, but this Florida game, man, that, that preview show, I'm going to try to find some, some points to look for that, that Vanderbilt can exploit, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Again, 11 a.m. kick, Vanderbilt, Florida. That'll be on ESPN. Kyle Trask, potentially Kyle Pitts. We don't know uh, yet. I doubt we see Kyle Pitts. We didn't see him last week uh, in Florida's game. So, uh, again, that'll, that should be um, an interest game. Florida favored by 31 and a half. That does it here for episode 48. We got a lot. We got a lot of basketball in. We got a ton of football talk as well. There should be fans at Memorial Gym this year. We'll talk a lot more about that. We'll monitor that situation and when i say fans hopefully students uh, at least so uh, that does it here for episode 48 for myself billy derrick and will byram you've been listening to the door report presented by alaco hardwood floor